It's almost time for the newest Indiana Jones, so we're going to review all of his prior adventures starting here with Raiders of the Lost Ark. The franchise has had its ups and downs, but I think we're in good hands with this first one. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. This is a movie podcast. We talk about movies and we are starting off our new season. We are working our way through the Indiana Jones movies, of course, building up to the release of The Dial of Destiny, which we'll finish the season off with uh, as a new release review. But uh, obviously we will begin with Raiders of the Lost Ark and we'll start spoiler free as we always do. It just in case you happen to be someone who's not watched it yet and would like to watch it before the new one comes out, but haven't yet and are watching or listening to this. I mean, I don't know what the demographics of the channel look like. I have to assume they're in the 18 to 35 year range is our primary peak. But <laughs> if we happen to have any like preteens, I think that they would probably be unexposed to Raiders. It's possible. It's possible. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, so, you know, Indiana Jones adventure film series, uh, with, a, a teacher slash archeologist who goes treasure hunting. And usually there's a, a maniacal villain as well to, to contend with that. You know, it's set, this first film at least set in the, is it thirties? It's 1936. 36. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Um, and when you say maniacal villain, like, throw a dart and odds are you'll hit nazis so yeah certainly at least in the the, the first trilogy there's uh yeah. is this they're all within that time span where it could be nazis so lo and behold we have we have nazis uh so uh obviously we'd both seen this before well i say that had you seen this before <laughs> no i've never actually no i of course i've seen this before that being said it's been at least a decade like, I have all the big points in my head, but there are some things going back to it that I just kind of forgot were part of this movie. I remember they were part of Indiana Jones in general, but I forgot they were actually part of this movie. Yeah, I mean, this is the one I've seen the most, for sure. Uh, because, you know, it, it, it's the best one. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, we'll get well, to... Spoilers for the rest of the season, I guess, but... <laughs> well, at least from memory. I, I've not seen the others as much, and I've not seen Crystal Skull since theaters. So, you oh. know, th that'll be a pretty fresh revisit that one but you know th th this th the first film of course uh, is about the ark of the covenant it's indiana jones trying to beat the nazis to get to it because hitler wants it for uh the unlimited power that it has much like the villain in the phantom which was the bonus movie we did which you can get on patreon.com slash tv today wow what a deal <laughs> what a bargain a whole movie review a whole movie review, yeah, starring Billy Zane. Jeez, he's everyone's favorite leading man. <laughs> anyway, so shameless plug aside. Um, mm. Yeah, so, you know, we, we got memorable villains. We got Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. We have Karen Allen as the uh, the female, female lead, uh, Marion. Um, we have a very almost unrecognizable small role for Alfred Molina. <laughs> Yeah, which is weird because without getting too into it, he's billed in like the opening credits, as is everyone else. But 
he gets pretty high billing, all things considered. And then, poof, gone. He must, yeah, he must have been a respected actor in some capacity to, to, to oh. get that billing, even though he's yeah. only got a small role. He's the Actually. Cameron Diaz of <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, you'd say. So Is that is that really praise? The Cameron Diaz of Raiders? Well, as a reference to Stream, yeah, I would say it's... All right. Yeah, the, the well-known actor who's there for just the, basically the opening. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. It wasn't an insult, but I mean... <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, did I say Cameron Diaz? I meant Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I wasn't going to correct you. Because I wasn't 100% sure myself, but I was like, I'm like 80% sure that's not Cameron Diaz. No, it's Drew Barrymore. All right. Just hand in your your horror fan card at the door. It's fine. It was Charlie's Angels they did together, wasn't it? That's that's where Mm -hmm. I'm crossing my wires here for some reason. Yeah, there you go. Oh, well. Anyway, (laughs) uh, so we'll get into into the things uh but i mean usually i start with the simple question did you like the movie but uh, it feels a bit redundant with this one but david how did you feel about raiders of the lost ark i hated it it was awful no um of course it's raiders i mean it's not i think that there are a few little things that being at a certain age being in you know i was i was roughly 18, 19, somewhere in that the last time I watched this. And I think there's a lot that I overlooked that I, I'm just now coming into my almost 30s, just being like, oh, well, you know, did that really work as well as I thought it did back then? The same sort of way that if I rewatch like Fight Club, there are certain things I'm like, did that really work? Or was it just my teenage mind just thinking it's so damn cool that I overlooked a few things? I, I mean, it's still great. The cinematography, the score, dear lord, the score. I could I could go on for half an hour just about this. We might go on for half an hour about just the score. But it's a great movie. Obviously, that doesn't need to be said. I do think that there might be one or two things I have to nitpick coming up, but it's not going to be anything that's damning the movie to be cut from the collection. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's great. I, I you know... I, I actually did kind of avoid these in childhood. And no. uh, I, I didn't see them when I was a, a young kid. You know, I saw a lot of other Spielberg. I saw E.T., I saw Jaws, I saw a lot of the other staples. My first ever movie in theaters was Jurassic Park. So I, I saw a lot of Spielberg growing up, but for some reason I, I dodged Indiana Jones through nothing but just chance. And hmm. it was when I was in sort of later high school and I was at that stage where I was sort of buying dvd box sets and things like that and i was buying things like the godfather trilogy and i was you know movies that i was like oh i should get to these and i've not seen them yet mm. that's what stuck out so i had the big chunky brown box set at the indiana jones but back when it was only three movies there was only three <laughs> of them at the time but i uh i you know, so i watched it for the first time probably around the age of 16 17 something there okay. um and yeah i really really like this one it, it's you know, it is an adventure movie. Obviously, I had seen things that have that have taken from it. Obviously, the nineteen ninety nine version of the Mummy is very heavily inspired. Oh yeah, by Indiana Jones. I had, to, I think, already seen the Phantom, <laughs> amusingly, <laughs> which again is also very much in the vein of Indiana Jones. I would love for you just seeing a kid <laughs> watching Indiana Jones after seeing the Phantom, being like, "Wow, this movie's a rip off." I mean, I think you're overestimating how much I remembered that movie by the time I was 16, 17. That's reasonable. 
it's not like I'd watched it at 14. <laughs> it was fresh yeah. in my head. So I mean, I watched it just like a week ago, and I'm still a little bit lost on half the things that happened. I think that's fair. Uh, so, no, I, I mean, it's... I, I think is Obviously, you mentioned the score, you mentioned the cinematography, and there's definitely some moments of cinematography that I want to point out when we go through it. But mm. um, for me, the big thing, especially what separates it from a modern movie, a modern summer movie, is mm. this, how much of it is relying on stunts and practical effects. It's, right. it's those sequences. Like I think I enjoy the first two-thirds of the movie, but I think the last act of the film where we get a very good uh, sort of car chase we get stuff with a submarine we get like all of the moments that kind of made me fall in love with it are all kind of in the last third and you know yeah there's some iconic moments earlier on don't get me wrong people love to you know bring up the boulder people love to bring up the whip all that stuff but for, for me when i first watched it as a movie and saw it from start to finish it was that last third um and also how surprisingly violent and grotesque a few things are yeah, I mean, they're the big ones that I think everybody remembers in terms of violence. But then there's a few just smaller moments in there that are kind of brushed aside, and they're just as gruesome in a lot of ways. But based off what you were saying in that the third act is really where it hit, that's kind of one of my nitpicks in this movie, oh. is that the... I agree, 100%. And that's what makes, I think, pretty much the second act kind of hard to get through for me. It's not even the second act, it's even half the first act. Pretty much you got the iconic opening scene. And then from that point on, it just kind of feels like a series of vignettes that are just barely loosely tied together. And the one that really stuck out to me was um, the scene where Marion is introduced. Great scene, fantastic fight scene going on. But then at the end of it, she's like, okay, I'm in on this adventure now. And then it just kind of it feels like a harsh cut into the next scene where there's this implication that a lot has happened in between and yet we didn't get to see any of it. And that's one of the, that happens two or three times in this movie where it feels like there's a lot happening between these actiony filled scenes where we're developing the core plot that we're just left to the imagination. And I, I want to recognize at this point though, this was, a send back to the old serials of, yeah. you know, these heroes going out and doing those things. And in that regard, I think it really works because you go to the theater, you go to the Nickelodeon or whatever it was at that point, you see these things super far separated and it's kind of making this plot, but there is stuff that does happen in between each of these serial shorts. But I don't think that that really serves it well in a feature film product. Yeah, it definitely has a unique flow to it, and it's mm. something that I think fades away with the movies as they as they go. Like again, it's been a while since I watched Crystal Skull, but I don't remember Crystal Skull feeling like that at all. I remember Crystal Skull just feeling like a modern movie, just happens right. to be Indiana Jones. Yeah, um, th this is very much. I, I think also there's just moments of darkness. Like the the opening is very dark in in tone. Like the music's kind of sinister. It mm. keeps Indy in silhouette. Uh, there's real threat to the traps. It's not until the end of the opening where a little bit of the more lighter side of the film kind of starts to sort of sprinkle in. It kind of it it takes us through a kind of a, a journey, if you will, to to get to that point. And it's an yeah. interesting reveal. Like you know, it's, it's 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 treating it very seriously, and then it starts to just sort of okay. We're, now we're seeing a little bit of that goofy side of indie that's you know part of the charm, but 
it takes a little bit to get there and i think one of the things that maybe disappears when you get to the newer movies is the willingness to have that darker edge to some of the sequences mm. and some of the scenes um maybe i'm misremembering maybe crystal skull's got some hard stuff in it but i don't remember mm, feeling it's just that. shia labeouf's face um <laughs> but no I, I remember temple of doom is actually part of the reason that the pg-13 rating exists because they had to choose between pg and r and they gave it pg and parents were not happy about that yeah yeah the temple of doom square i mean even this though is rated a which i think is like an old rating meaning just everyone can come <laughs> i mean i don't know about across the pond over here it's rated pg so yes everyone can come which uh, again feels if you take the actual wording of parental guidance it makes sense but if you go by what is typically given a pg rating nowadays it is astounding that this exists well i don't know what an a is because the a doesn't exist anymore so yeah but i think yeah no but i think an a is not even a pg though it is more equivalent to a, what you'd call a g rating mm-hmm. which is like baby <laughs> level like <laughs> <laughs> okay, i could go see it um because we have pg uh it's, it's it's above the pg that it starts to change a little bit we have 12 15 and 18 versus pg 13 and r okay so i just i googled the british film certificates with yes. thing here and for the 1970 to 1982 there was u for unrestricted a for adult content not suggested for under oh. 14s of age Double A okay. for restricted to anyone age fourteen or over, and X, which is self-explanatory. Okay, so yeah, that that rating system's completely alien because that was long gone by the time I was born. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. A was for adults. A was basically the PG thirteen of its time in the UK. Well, yeah, but it still says not suggested for children under the fourteens of age, but it didn't ban them. So yeah. it's kind of the same as PG over here, where it was like, look, you can. T- we're just telling you, you might have to tell your kids some stuff. Yeah, because that's the thing in the UK. Well. A 12 is kind of like a PG-13 now that an adult can take an under 12 if they want to. But when mm. I was that age, a 12 was a hard cutoff. Like, if you were under 12, you mm. weren't supposed to be allowed in. Uh, yeah. And 15s and 18s are still technically that way. I mean, I don't know how strictly they police it and how much they actually check IDs and things like oh, that. Yeah. But I mean, here in America, you can take your kid to see whatever you want as long as you can, are taking care of your kid. Yeah chaos so yeah pretty much <laughs> can't imagine why america has problems i don't anyway. want no kids in my show on a evil dead rise piss off you know there will be at least one some parent <laughs> couldn't get a sitter uh so yeah so it's surprisingly dark in places i think that's mm-hmm. uh something that's worth mentioning but yeah it's the practical stunts it's the the sense of adventure it's everything coming together into the big action set pieces and you know i don't necessarily disagree the middle portion of the film is you know there's a lot of like setup there's a lot of transitionary like doing the Mm. actual finding of the arc in the middle of the film which is definitely the slow part right you know because the opening does have the iconic entrance it has all the stuff that's building up marion's introduction is a fantastic scene but once we get to cairo yeah like it it does slow down a little bit until we then are in the third act and all of the action really starts kicking off right i mean going back to the serial thing it feels like the opening scene is just the last plots like the last collection of serials final video it's the it's the capper to that plot that the serials were doing where there could have been an entire thing of him getting this getting alfred molina forming a friendship with him going through the jungle running into bellic 
and it's only this last section that we're actually seeing. And it works as both an eye catch and, as you said, this darker sort of tone that then goes away until we get to the end of the arc plot. So yeah. I think that it's still keeping in mind this sort of serial thing going on throughout. Yeah, um, uh, you know, I think Indy as a character is famously kind of uh, atypical of what you're supposed to do with a protagonist and that he's mm. kind of always losing <laughs> in, in yeah. a way. Uh, which does is quite an interesting tactic to take, and you you need someone you you need the right direction, but you definitely need someone like Harrison Ford to like carry that because I feel like oh yeah, if you give this to like most typical average actors, it will not work, but it works with him, and I think although I will I will fight back against um people who say there's not much of an arc for Indy, no pun intended, because you know Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> uh, there's actually one very large arc for Indy, <laughs> but. I do think there is something. It's it's not big, it's not super deep, but I do think there is something there. And what was interesting is when I got to the end of the movie, I was thinking that the fact that where the sequels have to go, right? And I know Temple doesn't really count because I think Temple's technically a prequel that's set before. But um, you didn't know that. <laughs> well, but, no, uh, I, I, I've heard that, but I've also heard that it's just like a rumor that... Uh, you I thought, can watch them pretty much in any order because that's how the serials were back in the day, where everyone just kind of stays status quo enough that it can be viewed however you want. I, I've always taken it for granted that it was a, a prequel, but uh, yeah, it doesn't really yeah. matter that much. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's, this is not the same as Dirty Harry, where they're like the sequels have to ruin the arc of the first film because Indy's right. arc in this is not that important. But I think the little arc that is there does technically just have to. Not be ignored, but is unfortunately can't be like sort of referenced again because uh, it's all right. really to do with Mary, Mary uh, Marion, and uh, because and because she's not in two and three. I mean, she is in Crystal Skull, so <laughs> but <laughs> she's not in the next two, so we don't get to kind of like continue off. But it's not a big deal in this case though because Indy's Indy's story in that sense for his character isn't as important as like where where's Dirty Harry. To compare it to that dirty harry's story is the meat it's the heart of the film it's what right. the whole thing is about right on top of the the hunting of the vicious killer whereas mm. here it's adventure there's a villain and it's an excuse for these action scenes it's an excuse for these set piece moments and right. for these scenarios and that's what it is and it never tries to pretend that it's more than that and i think that's why it doesn't hurt that it isn't more than that um you know, I I do think this is the best one because it's the, the purest in that sense um, and I have the most fun with it. And I don't know if that's just because maybe there's Diminishing Returns a little bit with, with some of the sequels. Yeah. Um, maybe it's, you know, just, just finding that balance. Uh, one of the interesting things is, and maybe this goes along with what you said about the opening feel at the ending of a previous story. It, it does mm -hmm. happen to set up something for later, of course. It introduces certain characters and an antagonist and things like that. But um, I do think it's interesting that, again, compare it to a typical movie script and structure, mm -hmm. like, the opening does a lot, of, spends a lot of time showing how capable Indy is with certain things, particularly, like, seeking out traps and avoiding them and being really resourceful and smart. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like the rest of the movie, most movies with, like, those skills, specifically the ones that he shows in the opening, would come back into it later. <laughs> Yeah, and the movie never does. It just it's just like it doesn't matter. Like these are irrelevant now to the rest of the film, uh, mm -hmm. but for the most part, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't get out of any traps, but you know that first 
part of the movie is so slow and methodical of him like sort of like eyeing things up and and testing the waters and you yeah. know catching things in advance um that's not quite anything that comes out of play later on <laughs> right it's i there was a story i heard a long time ago of when the martian came out with matt damon which i believe you have a review for possibly by this point we just recorded that a couple days ago uh, it'll be long up by the time this goes out though okay fair enough um but the i heard somebody who was like really excited about watching it they described it as that one scene in apollo 13 where they had to get the uh air filters of different shapes to hook up and just extended for a whole movie like that's kind of like if you really enjoyed that one segment of it that was great for the martian that's kind of what i felt here with this opening segment of indiana jones i'm really really into this like him going through and just seeing these traps and like thinking his way out of it and so the fact that it barely comes up for any rest of the movie not to say it isn't there at all it kind of let me down a little bit I mean, obviously, nowadays, I knew it was coming, but I remember being a little bit let down before where I'm like, the only time it ever felt like we got back to that was later on when he's trapped in a pit. Yeah. And we'll obviously get to it. But that's the only time that it feels like it really was him looking around, taking in his surroundings and finding out how to escape this situation. And so... I do, I I hold it ever so slightly against the film that the opening scene sets up this expectation of basically a puzzle game and then turns into just action shooter. Yeah. It's very good as an action movie, though. That's the thing. Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, like, it, it's the sort of thing where that opening, like, it does feel like there should be more of that later on, and there isn't. But it's, it's one of those things where I, I don't really think about it too much. And I certainly didn't think about it the first time I watched it. It's the sort of thing where I've seen it enough times now where, you know, I'm thinking about it more critically and I'm analyzing it. And yeah. some people would say, you shouldn't analyze it. It's just a fun action movie. But like... <laughs> you oh. can analyze anything. <laughs> well, no, but the, the point is, if it works, it works for a reason. And if it works in an atypical way, that's even more interesting. Okay, so it's breaking some rules, but it's still kind of working. Mm -hmm. So why is it still kind of working? Um, the, these are interesting questions. Um obviously it does a lot of really smart things with how it chooses to introduce characters how to portray them um how to kind of maybe subvert expectations at points um it honestly the, the funny thing is the way we're talking about it where it doesn't necessarily have the traditional setup and payoff although there is still very much some setup and payoff mm. it kind of feels and we're talking about the serialized nature of it where it's almost like a series of shorts that are kind of linked together yeah. Um, although I do think that goes away a little bit as the movie goes on. I think once they're in Cairo, it starts to feel like it's just a movie, a regular movie past that I, point. I think that the moment the arc is actually recovered, that's the moment where it just becomes one solid plot the whole way through. Yeah. Probably because it has to be at that point, because it is a movie, yeah. and ultimately it has to come together. So Yeah, absolutely. It's just the way it makes sense. Uh, but, you know, and just, you know, obviously, like I don't think it's spoiling anything. So the famous scene where... Like the guy whips out the sword, right, and mm. does a whole show and dance with it, and then Andy yeah. just kind of shrugs and pulls out his gun and shoots him. And it's like it's played for comedy, right? And the famous yeah. story that everyone probably knows about this is that that was not in the script. There was meant to be a sword fight, but Harrison Ford was a bit sick that day, and they came up with this as an alternative. So, arguably the most iconic character-defining moment, <laughs> <laughs> and the entire film 
was done purely by chance. And it just makes it... The whole movie, to me, in a, a weird way, feels like it's just a bunch of creative people just riffing as they go. And obviously, that's not really true. They had a script. They had to have locations mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. But it has kind of almost a... And then, and then, and then quality to yeah. it. And, but in the best possible way. And I'm wondering why... You know, maybe the reason why I've I, I remember liking Last Crusade a fair bit, and I don't think Temple of Doom's bad, but mm. I don't remember liking Adam as much of this. And I do wonder if the reason why none of them did live up to the first one for me, from at least from memory, is just because, well, I I I I don't know if just going back for more and then and then and then necessarily works, but as a one-time yeah. thing, it with these creative people involved. And I'm even including George Lucas, Lucas in that, and I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't often do that. Um, I mean, I know for a fact I have a much poorer memory of Temple of Doom, and especially uh, Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. I barely, re- I, I have the most basic ass plot points in my mind about Last Crusade, but you're right in that this one felt a bit more. It, it felt like. If this was the only chance they were ever going to get to use this Indiana Jones character, this is where they spent everything that they wanted to put in. And they threw out these huge concepts, these big ideas. And yes, maybe it felt a bit disconnected, but it was always fun the whole way through. Yeah. Like they had a part where they're like, okay, what if he, 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 and I'm, you know, I'm spoiling slightly here, but not the context of which, like, what if he jumps on a Nazi submarine? And it's like, yes, let's get that. How do we make that work? And they, they just throw it in. Eventually, they get it into the plot. And I think that that's... It's, it's only because of the type of movie it is, where it's just a guy who, like you said at the beginning, just keeps kind of losing, where he's finding himself in these insane situations, and he has to... I, he either has to think or luck his way out of it. Or fight, obviously. Um, and that's the only reason that it works, that you are able to keep doing this and then, and then, and then. Because it wouldn't work for something, even in like a George Lucas movie of like Star Wars. You wouldn't be able to say, oh, and then uh, a ship shows up out of nowhere and blows them all up. It's like, well, no, you can't do that. You need to work within the plot we've laid out. Yeah. Yeah. I guess ultimately what we're kind of saying is, is that it doesn't really conform to conventional storytelling and yeah. works in spite of it and mm-hmm. you know obviously it's a great movie everyone agrees it's a great movie it's been <laughs> beloved for decades for a reason but it's oddly kind of going against a lot of the uh the fundamentals in a, in a lot of ways but obviously yep. when you have someone like steven spielberg and he's prime no less mm-hmm. making it you, you you've got this like these constant creative hands like guiding you through it and between him and george lucas just coming up with like these scenarios that Indy gets into and hmm. well yeah not super deep villains because they're just nazis but memorable because you know everyone remembers the creepy little man with the glasses and the leather coat yeah <laughs> like absolutely. everyone remembers them so it's it's just it's just almost like just and the same way that a band will get together and just jam <laughs> like this this movie feels like a bunch of filmmakers jamming in a weird way I do want to throw out, as long as we're talking about the behind-the-scenes people, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, mm. who also did the writing on this. I'm sure he was instrumental in a very unsung way on how this movie managed to turn out. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive he made it work after yeah. George Lucas you know, 
spewed George, up a lot of things. George Lucas, yeah, he just put it all down on the paper, <laughs> and Lawrence actually got it into something resembling a movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, even Star Wars famously was, like, really put together in the edit. You know, like, right. you know, George Lucas shot a lot of stuff, but it was the edit that kind of brought it into a coherent thing. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. Um Anyway, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot to get into, so we'll, we'll uh, give the spoiler warning and we'll dive in to Raiders of the Lost Ark, although it is now technically titled Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark because they called the rest of them like that. I I really want to know the point where George Lucas sat down and he said, okay, I I made Star Wars, but it made a billion dollars, so I'm going to go ahead and call this one episode four because I got this whole big thing in mind. And they're like, that's great. We're also doing more Indiana Jones films. Should we just call the next one Temple of the Amazon? like, nah, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark now, as well as Indiana Jones and the <laughs> Temple of Doom. We're going to work on our merchandising. I mean, at least adding Indiana Jones into the title is not that egregious. Um, having the yeah. audacity to call your movies four, five, and six <laughs> is just ludicrous i i know we're not talking about star wars but i just <laughs> i've always wanted to find out because it was only it was only called just star wars for like a year if even and then they very quickly threw on episode four i think in the home media release so which baffles I, me. like do you know what for years i didn't think it changed its title until the special editions i that's why yeah. I, I was assuming that when i was younger and then someone mm-hmm. told me, no, 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 he changed it to episode four. Because I I genuinely thought that Empire and Jedi came out just called Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. But yeah. apparently they were called five and six at release, which is mind-boggling. But that's what I really want to just go back and find somebody's testimony from when that change was made. And they're like, what do you mean it's episode four? <laughs> Have I missed three of the Star Wars? Do you think that's just him also doing the serialized thing where he's like, oh, there was some before. Not necessarily because there's an intention to make one, two, and three. It's just, no, no, we're jumping in the middle. I I think it's possible. I think maybe he had a plan for, because I think he always had a plan for what roughly came before, not uh, scripted levels. Broad strokes had, at best. Yeah, I think he had a general idea of like, nah, here's what happened to Darth Vader before he became Darth Vader. And he just had some rough strokes. But I do think it was the same sort of thing of Indiana Jones here, where... At the beginning of this story, we open up with him going into this cave, getting a golden idol, and clearly there is some backstory as to how he got into this situation. Ah, but here's, but here's, we... here's the beautiful thing about it, though, mm-hmm. is that you get what you need from context, and the rest of it is left to your wonderful imagination. You wait and oh, see no. oh, that no. the old stuff because you know they're backdating Harrison Ford's face in Dial of Destiny. Oh no. You watch that it's going to work right up until he meets up with Alfred well, Molina. Well, well, no, they already do it in a uh, Last Crusade starts with like teenage indie, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. If I remember right. Yeah. Like, yeah. So they already getting the scar. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've already done some of that and um I think I may be quite critical of that that section of the third one actually. I I don't really remember it okay. very well. But from what I've like heard mentioned of it in the years since I've seen it, I think I might be more critical of that now. And and I post like all these legacy sequels and like prequels and all these things that have yeah. happened since. I think I might be quite critical. I might be like, this is the sign. This is the first sign of George <laughs> Lucas and his bullshit. Is this scene? I mean, we'll find out when we get to the third one. But I'm yeah. I've got a sneaking no, suspicion. 
But I'm just saying in the fifth one, uh, you just watch. They're going to they're going to square the circle and they're going to have him meet up with young oh, Alfred I'm, Molina and they're going to go I into that it. cave. I hate, I, and the <laughs> theme's going to play and it's all going to restart from the beginning. I mean, again, not to go into too much of a tangent about Star Wars, but <laughs> just one point I want to make, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. Mm-hmm. And the first Star Wars, which I'm just going to call Star Wars, screw this episode four nonsense, all right? When Obi-Wan, like, brings up the past and he talks about, oh, there was a time when there was the Jedi and there was the Sith and all this stuff, when mm-hmm. he alludes to this backstory, right? Yeah. That, th- that backstory is never more exciting than when it's referenced like that in that first movie. Oh, yeah. Seeing any of it play out in the prequels takes away all the mystique and it makes it dull and but they sit around and have meetings like politicians it's so freaking boring see here's the thing i think it could have been done interestingly and could have i think yeah it could have but i do think that you're right in that there's something about just a throwaway line a little mysterious thing yes as soon as he says the clone wars if we never saw the clone wars it would have been this whole big thing in the fandom and they could have made it everything they ever wanted and instead, we do get it found out. Some people it works for, some people it doesn't. But I and, do think there is something to the mystery of leaving some things unsaid. And the problem with that is that once you do Clone Wars, which might make sense because there was this big war in the galaxy that everyone knew about, it makes sense that it would have been a story in this backstory. Mm-hmm. But then you, you go one step further and you explain why someone has this thing. You go one step further, someone why has that thing. And then you go yep. to the, the bottom of the barrel and all before you know it, you're saying... You're on your own. I'll call you Han Solo. Piss off. <laughs> Piss off. You're explaining speaking, things too much. Speaking of Han Solo and Harrison Ford. <laughs> nice, nicely done, yes. For the yeah. background. Anyway, so we're in spoilers. Yes. So yes, we have the the, 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 the fairly iconic at this point, you know, the Paramount logo becoming the, the mountain, which they can't do with the new one because I don't think it's Paramount anymore. <laughs> When I went to go rent this movie, it's still on Paramount Plus. Oh, interesting. Okay, maybe, so yeah, maybe maybe yeah, there might be some linkage. I mean, I know Disney owns Lucasfilms as a whole, correct? Yeah, I wonder if like they're still on distribution for the first four, and that's why it's still on. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't. You think Disney's lawyers would be all up on that? But yeah, that's interesting. Well, because here's the thing, though, because because they were always tied to Paramount. Disney did not mm-hmm. buy Paramount. They bought, you know, Fox right. and Lucasfilm. But if they bought separately. The, but I'd imagine they do the same thing that they were doing with like Sony and stuff like that, where they're just like, hey, we'll give you a billion dollars if you give us the right to our stuff back. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. If there's a maybe they'll make a deal, maybe the Paramount logo will be the start of the new one. I don't know. But yeah, we'll it, trans, it transitions into the, the other thing. And mm-hmm. um like I said, it's all moody, it's all like as the titles are playing out, we get like you know, we, you know it saves Indy's face. You know, it's not it's not until one of the guys tries to betray him a few minutes in and he turns around and whips the gun out of his hand and then steps yep. out of the shadow into the light where you finally see him. But you, you you get the whip, you get the gun holster, you get, you know, just little bits of his side, things like that. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, it's the jungle. And it's all played kind of like mysterious and like almost like a horror movie, you know, that they're, they're mm. moving slowly. There's like darts and things in the trees, signs that they're being watched by natives and things like that. You know, it's all. And then once yeah. they actually get to the the tomb, it, it's quite spooky and it's filled with traps. And and he's taking everything very seriously, saying, "Don't step in this thing, don't go into the light." And we're seeing the traps 
come off the the skeleton of the man that he knew in his past that came here first you know because he mentions that he knew someone and we find the skeleton and he's like oh shit oh well he's had better days (laughs) i do i like this fact that for this sequence at the very least because i don't think they really do this for later in the film but for this sequence at the very least alfred molina's character is supposed to be the audience guy who like doesn't know any of the stuff going into yeah, this he's, he's scared whereas, yeah he's a conduit character right but indiana jones is the super well experienced like he looks at a room and he's immediately like that's a trap that's a trap and that's a trap and we're just gonna move right around it as best we can and it i think it does more to sell the coolness of indiana more so than even like the stuff he does in the scene is just this hyper competence towards something that has killed literally everyone else who has come in here before. Yeah, he doesn't feel like an, an idiot when they say no one comes out of there alive. He immediately mm. starts showing why he'll be the one who makes it, kind of thing. Right. But of exactly. course, like to up to the point where you know we get the famous moment where he gets to this golden idol that he's trying to take, and it's on a pressure mm-hmm. plate, and he's got the bag of sand that he's going to spot with it. And you get the famous scene where he's at, and he thinks he's done it. And then it turns out he's misjudged the weight and it sinks in and all the traps start going off and he has to bowl. And it's that yeah. sort of, this is kind of a turning point because it's like up until this point, he's felt like he's infallible. It's felt like mm-hmm. he's just constantly showing that he's got the one up and everyone around him. And then all of a sudden, and I think that's what makes this moment really work, is that up until this moment, there's not a single joke. He doesn't crack any like lines that are slightly funny. Everything is taken ultra seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's also at this moment when that pressure plate goes down and he's like, oh shit, it feels like you don't see it coming, right? I mean, obviously yeah. you do now because it's a classic scene and we all know what's happening, but right. But when you're watching in the context of a first time viewing with no no prior knowledge, it hits harder because up everything up until that point is t- treated ultra seriously. And mm-hmm. immediately, you know, uh, Alfred Molina betrays him, doesn't throw his whip back. And then when Indy does sort of almost get out, he finds him you know impale with multiple spikes which is probably which, one of the first violent things you see it to be honest yeah no it's bloody as hell but yeah. i do i do want to point out i i i appreciate the fact that they did it but uh-huh. it just it took me probably a good like five seconds and the fact that the golden idol was at the guy's feet for me to realize oh that's supposed to be alfred molina because uh, I, yeah. the practical effects were just a little bit not there for that yeah, I, I think it was like he, he was made to look scared because he realized he was about to die, so his face is in kind of a weird pose kind of thing. Yeah, plus he has metal rods coming out through his forehead, but yeah, a couple things. Oh, you didn't notice those before? Oh, what? No. I, no. Was I making fun of Alfred Molina's dis, disfigurement of <laughs> yes. metal rods coming out of his head? My bad, I'm so, sorry. So insensitive. Ah, jeez. Uh, anyway, so obviously then the boulder, you know, comes out on the way out and all that. Yep. And it's a really smart thing I think it does here. There's a lot of little good directing moments in this. Mm-hmm. They really help the storytelling. So they've set up that there's the native tribe or something, like sort of guarding this, like, you know, jungle or whatever. And then yep. they gets out, he's covered in spider webs from his hasty escape. They even mention all the spiders on the back, you know, on the way in. Yeah. I feel like that entire opening scene, because of the spiders, was meant to hit on just every phobia. Mm. It's like, are you afraid of spiders? There's spiders in here. Are you afraid of, like, needles? There's poison darts that are going to hit you. Are you afraid of giant boulders crushing you? That's a bit specific, but here you go. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'd like people have got a... I'm sure there's probably a name for it, because there's a name for every phobia, but I don't think it's a common one. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, spiders and needles, though. I feel like a lot of people are scared of those. Um mm. But, you know, he, he comes out, right, and he, he sees the, 
the natives all pointing their their arrows at him right and their mm-hmm. blow darts and it does this thing where the camera is just watching his reaction it's watching the, the, the all the the natives looking at him and you get this feeling that the people who are native to here who who live here have a problem with him robbing this thing and on some level you're like oh maybe indy is in the wrong because these people like this is this is their homeland this is them defending yeah. it they see him as this outsider coming in stealing something and it does that thing where then walking into frame you don't see his face you just see like his waist because it's at indy's like level and he's like sitting on the ground uh mm-hmm. you, you get a bollock uh or bellock 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 comes yeah. in uh and he comes in walking and he's got his french accent and he's wearing you know obviously a, a you know a, a nice adventure uh uniform that he you know he's clearly a wealthy man and he comes right. in and he's he's speaking all like ah there's nothing that you can possess that i cannot take and it's this great transition because you think okay it's this just possibly just result of what indy's doing in these natives but then it reveals no 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 they're working with an even worse version. They're working with this man who has either paid them or manipulated them or, or whatever it may be. But yeah. it's actually the complete opposite. You you come out of that cave and you see Indy facing down this tribe, you think, oh no, he's facing uh, the people who are going to protect it out of some sort of allegiance or because they believe in it. And then it's like, oh no, 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 no. Actually, it's the complete opposite. It's the rich treasure hunter who's not even going to do the work. He's worse than right. Indy. He's not going to go in and avoid all the traps. He's just going to take it out of his hand when Indy's like, you know, held down at gunpoint, effectively. Yeah, which I I do think this scene was creative, as you said, that this is their like, at least some point of sacred ground. There's a reason why they are protecting this as the tribe, and Indiana Jones is just taking it. Like he, in he is not a grave robber, obviously. And there's a whole conversation to be had about like colonialism and museums and stuff like that. But in any other story, at least modern day wise, the guy who's stealing the stuff from the tribe is the bad guy. Yeah, and it's only because of this juxtaposition. It's only because that we see an even worse guy who's not only taking it, but he is a thief and a liar as well, that Indy comes off still as the good guy here. Yeah, I mean, this movie, I don't think, really wants to get into, like, the ethical side of the no. British Museum or anything like that. Yeah. Um, it, it's, yeah, it, it's kind of a... Because this is the thing, like, I feel like in other movies uh, where someone's going looking for something either mm. a bad guy is making them do it right and they're doing it kind of under duress you know if you look at the mummy uh mm. like there's bad people involved that are trying to do it and then rachel vice's character just is doing it because she's genuinely like fascinated by it but she's not doing it yeah. to steal anything and like take it back or whatever right mm. um or maybe in some stories the good guy will be doing it because they need the item. The item's going to save the world or something. There's a good reason to go get it. It's not just... Yeah. But Indy is literally just taking this back to a museum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Like, I think I think that's what made it smart, though, when we get to the arc, is that they specifically set it up of, like, yeah, he wants to put it in the museum. That is, he wants the arc to be on display for all to see. That's still his character drive and motivation. Mm. But he's given a reason of saving the world on top of it so that way we don't question the morality of yeah him going out to get it in the first place so 
But no, like Indy then comes off as a little bit more silly because when anybody runs away from the the tribe and they're mm-hmm. chasing him over the hill, it's inherently kind of a more goofy kind of moment for him. It's like yeah. you know he's yelling "Start the plane" as he's running, and you know the first time you hear the proper Indy theme kind of comes in a little bit as he swings on a vine to get to the plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that John Williams, I I think he knew he was playing for the return audience as just as much as he was playing for first timers because as soon as you know the indiana jones theme and you just start to hear it just leaking in yeah he never gives you the whole thing right up until the end yeah oh yeah it's, it's not until he's uh on horseback i think uh yeah. in the third act before before you hear the full motif if you will mm-hmm. um no, so, I mean, this introduction is obviously very solid. Like you say, it kind of plays like this like, end of a previous serial. It's, it introduces one of our main antagonists. It introduces Indy's skill set. It shows you that he's capable, that he gets into dangerous situations, and he sometimes outsmarts his way out of a situation, but sometimes he also just kind of runs away yelling <laughs> and yeah. hoping for the best. So it gives us a bit of a spectrum. Uh, yeah, he's... He's smart and he's brave, but he's not foolhardy. He knows a lost cause, so. Yes. So he teaches, I mean, I think this is a, a university based on the type uh, of, yeah. like, uh, just, just the, think, the type of rooms involved look more university to me than they do high school. I think they call him professor, professor at some yeah. point. So uh, I believe it's university at the very least. The only reason why I questioned it is because a bell rang, and maybe it was different back in the 30s, but bells don't uh, ring in university <laughs> i mean you're right yeah but maybe that's just a, like a movie thing well i don't know it could also just be a time thing yeah even even then they the bell rang but then indy's immediately like oh okay um guess i'm done and only then did people get up to leave so it wasn't even a thing where they were waiting for the bell they were waiting for him specifically yeah well it's certainly in high school is bullshit as soon as that oh, bell yeah, rings no. the kids start moving it's like oh you are not my master anymore <laughs> your jurisdiction ended when that bell rang <laughs> um but yeah all of his female students are in love with them i don't know, I don't know if you noticed that <laughs> It was very subtle. There were very <laughs> tiny little things that were hinting at it, like a pair of eyelids that say "love you." Yeah, well, there is like a there is like a little quirk here. Now, I don't think I didn't notice it being mentioned exactly in the movie, but right. this idea that his students are attracted to him um, is a fine little joke because he just kind of reacts kind of like awkwardly about it, and it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Later on, when we interested uh, Marion, and she yeah. says, "I was just a kid," you know, we had a thing ten years ago. I don't think it specifically mentions her age in the movie, but I have I have heard that if, if you work it out, she was sixteen or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I mean the the way that the movie plays it out is that he was the understudy. He was the student of this Abner Ravenwood, who was also yeah, her an archaeology dad. professor. Her dad and. It seems like when he was studying under him, something happened between them, between Marion and Indy. And then he's the one who broke it off. But it does sound like it was not all on the up and up because it also seems as though that was the last time him and Abner were on like actually good terms as well. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't so, really go into it. Too. I, I think it's very much, it's very much that, of the time. And I think this sort of thing is just more accepted in 1981 
right? Yeah. So they don't absolutely. really feel the need to go into it too much. I mean, they're not necessarily saying he's a hero because he had, you know, a, a, an affair with, a, you know, a teenager. But at the same time, it, this is from an era where in movies, that was a constant thing, right? Yeah, Up until absolutely. The, even through the 90s, that was a constant thing. And even the but early even 2000s. Then, even then, like, like you said, you had to work it out. You had to back day. You had to do the math, figure it out. It's the movie just giving that bit of mystery where mm. it doesn't need to give you all of the details. You didn't need to sit there with a the whole thing of like, here's why it was wrong, Indy. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Which I'm only bringing up here because just the, the all the, 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 the girls in his class all mm. feeling this way about him does like, it feels a bit weirder in hindsight because of that <laughs> when you yeah. think about it. Um, because that at some point in his career, he was like, yeah, no, I'd do that. That sounds <laughs> like a good idea. Now, he wasn't actually a professor yet, but yes. Still, it's it's enough that he recognized that it was a problem as well. Yes, yes. So, uh, but no, some some uh, Americans show up mm-hmm. and they want to talk to Indy because they've intercepted some Nazi communications about some uh, relics, specifically the Ark yep. of the Covenant. So, um interesting little detail about this scene actually where they have this okay. conversation is uh just i was thinking about it as i was watching it is the symbolism of where this scene takes place they're on uh, a stage in what looks to be sort of a, a makeshift lecture hall because you know mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a, a blackboard on the stage there's a, a bunch of empty seats as if you know people give big you know lectures to big classes in here yeah um and i just thought that was kind of interesting that effectively what happens in the scene is he does give a lecture to these two guys about what these this these things are talking about and he draws stuff on the board yada 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 but i think yeah. there's just some symbolism in that it's taking place in this room with all these empty seats because it's like a secret lesson i don't know maybe i'm putting too much thought into it no, but... no no i i appreciate the thought to it and i do i think it was more so out of a convenience than it was anything else i couldn't tell you specifically why it just feels that way and mainly because the fact of if this were actually this like super secret thing that's highly confidential during the World War II, where there are freaking spies everywhere, I wouldn't host this in the biggest room of the college. It seems like a poorly thought out idea. Um, well, it's not World War II yet, technically, but... Okay, well, leading up to the Nazis, <laughs> there are still spies. Clearly well, because no, the... they intercepted communication. Well, there are Nazis. The Nazis came out of power in 1933. World War II right. started in 1939. Right, but what I'm saying is that they have intercepted communication, so therefore there are already spies. Oh yeah. So regardless of if we're actually in World War II or not, the spies that are informing on the different powers are in existence. Oh yeah, I'm not disputing that. I'm not disputing that. Okay. Um, you're just you're just hanging up on I said World War Two. Yes. Well, okay. no, but like I think, but to to the point you were saying about oh, this is more of a thing of convenience i don't think so i think mm-hmm. this is a, an intentional director choice but oh. you can argue that it doesn't make any sense that they'd be okay with having that meeting in here i don't really think it matters that much but <laughs> no it doesn't at all like i, I said it's the smallest little nitpick i don't really yeah. care that much about it yeah the symbolism is just kind of what i was getting at because i feel like that's more what Spielberg, the symbolism and the the visual motifs are more kind of what feel like are important in this movie which, mm-hmm. you know, when it leads us to, to Marion's bar and, like, Indy's introduction is, like, his shadow on the wall in front right. of her, that is a great visual. It's a great moment that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is, is played to, to great effect. I, I just want to take one second here for 
they do a fantastic job of balancing stuff happening in the foreground and then smaller stuff happening in the background. And it's like things that aren't important to the plot, but just give you that little extra hint of here's this thing that's going to happen mm. where the one that sticks out to me is later on in the movie, we get Marion in the tent with Bellic, and she has to get changed or whatever like that. And Bellic's basically trying to tell her like, Hey, look, you stay with me and everything will be okay. And as he's saying that there is this shadow of that one Nazi guy that everyone knows that just moves across the tent in the background. Yeah. And at a different scene, there's a scene where Indiana Jones is talking to Bellic and there's a gun being traded hands in the background. It's not given focus. None of these things are given focus, but it informs the story so much more when you just catch on to the little things like that, where it's this incredible just attention to detail. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about with this, this choice of location. It feels very mm -hmm. specific, and I, I think there's so many little things like that. Uh, one in the, the bar scene, once the shootout starts, is that a bullet just misses Marion, but it goes through like the uh, the keg or whatever it is, and like some booze mm -hmm. starts pouring out of it, and she takes a sip, and it's just a little moment that doesn't really matter, but it just it gives it this little bit of personality that it wouldn't have otherwise yeah. had by having this little moment. Um, yeah. And it's very important as well, because even before Indy shows up, it introduces that she... And the reason why he's there, of course, is just because her father had the uh, top of the staff that's going to reveal the location of the Ark, right? That's yep. so she, she has a medallion thing. That's it. I don't need to know, right? Everything boils down to there's a MacGuffin. Someone has the MacGuffin, the other person goes there yeah. to get the MacGuffin, right? That's all the you need to know. The, the only thing that changes is what MacGuffin are we currently on? Yes. Um, but, you know, it introduces her and she's, you know, trying to drink someone under the, under the table. And it's sort of like test is just to show that she can do it uh although and i don't drink so maybe i don't know anything here but it mm -hmm. felt like once she wins this this game where the other guy like passes out from the last shot it felt mm -hmm. like she just immediately switched to being completely fine <laughs> when she's like happy and accepting her winnings <laughs> i think i you were talking about intentional choices i think that was also an intentional choice where oh, maybe, yeah. She keeps baiting this guy by like saying like, oh, you're about to win. You're, yeah. I'm super woozy. And then all of a sudden, as soon as she wins, she's like, all right, everybody. I was never okay, going okay. to be so under the table. You're saying she was faking it, basically, just to yeah, make, give him much. a false sense of security. Okay, but no, that's I what, can accept that's that. What, but that's what I also think is so good. Like we were talking about Indiana Jones showing up in this movie and how the first scene that he was in defines everything you need to know about the character. This does the same thing for Marion. Just not even the remainder of the scene of her in the bar, just this drinking scene tells you everything you need to know of she is a woman who can hold her own against literally any man who is put up against her in things that would also be considered manly to begin with. Yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, I think the rest of the scene is important to establish, obviously, her and Indy's, like, Oh, yeah. together like Absolutely. chemistry and like what they're what they are as a pair but I, I think yeah you're right like this sets up like who she is and i think it sets up this interesting idea that she doesn't necessarily need to be rescued and i know that technically later on in the film she does kind of need to be rescued but mm -hmm. i think what what the movie's kind of doing here and it's kind of sly but it's kind of neat is that it's you know indy shows up she's not happy to see him right you know like ah you dumped me 10 years ago blah 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 right all that stuff yeah i think later in the film when he does show up to rescue her right i think there's an idea that deep down she wants to 
be rescued by Indy. She doesn't need to be rescued by Indy. And I'm not, and I'm, mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a literal sense that later on in the film she could just fight her way away from the Nazis. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in this opening scene in the bar, she can clearly take care of herself. And when the shootout starts, she, she shoots people as well. She gets into the fight. She does things. Um, but I think there's this idea that she holds this resentment against Indy, but deep down she actually kind of still wants him and she still wants him to show up and be the hero. She wants him to be the hero the audience wants him to be. And I yeah. think that's when I, you know, earlier on when I was saying that there is kind of an arc for Indy, and it's not a big one, but there is a little thing here, is that later on in the movie, when he shows up with a rocket launcher, he says, I'm not here for the arc, which by the way, I laugh at every time it cuts to him holding that rocket launcher, I laugh. It's so yeah. funny. And in, in, in a good way. Um, but he says, I don't care about the arc, I'm just here for the girl. And the smile that goes across her face, I think this moment is the heart of the movie, because it's both him... For the first time in the film, he's not here for the artifact that he's been chasing the whole time. He's just here for her. He's happy to walk away with her. And I know he refuses to shoot the artifact. He, you know, he doesn't blow up the arc, right? Yeah. His bluff's called on that. And yeah, he's not willing to do that because he still cares about it. But mm. I do believe in the scene that if they said, fine, here, here she is, off you go, he would have just went away with her. I, I do oh, actually yeah. think he would have. And I think that's kind of the heart of the film is that he goes from showing up, just wanting the thing she has, right? He says sorry, but he's kind of, you know, he's not really, his heart's not in it. He's just kind of saying the things he needs to say. Um, He's kind of, he's holding her at a distance. And then obviously over the course of the film, he he cares about her. He wants to save her. At one point, he literally leaves her captive because it'll ruin the plan if he rescues her too soon. Yeah, I I do (laughs) think it's important to point out how he doesn't believe in the Ark's power pretty much right up until the very end. Yeah, yeah where he he's trying to get for the course of this movie he's trying to get the ark because a he's going to be paid a fortune and b it's going in a museum so <laughs> between those two things that's all he yeah, really he, wants he, he talks about the power early on like it's a superstitious nonsense you know yeah. when his friend tries to warn him and brody start tries to warn him about being careful he's like mm-hmm. ah you're talking about the boogeyman nah, 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 i'm cautious and he throws a gun into the case like the gun will solve everything and it does with right. the sword obviously as the famous scene oh, points yeah. out i uh, mean to be fair it solves most of the problems in the movie well here's here's okay i'm going wild here with my uh my okay. analysis here but do it so i'm talking about how he comes to care more for Mary, and or at least realizes he does actually care for her right yeah. can i relate that slightly to him not believing in the power of the ark and then by the end believing that it is real can i relate that a little bit to him not believing that he has feelings for her and then by the end he, do- he realizes he does could-, could the ark and the power within it be a-, a a loose symbol for his feelings in a way not in a deep way i'm not saying that you know it's like a big thing but no no i see what you say it goes back to the philosopher huey lewis and uh <laughs> that's the power of love the philosopher yeah yeah it's a curious thing makes one man weep and another man sing yes um <laughs> well, no, well, I mean, some I... of them do weep certainly <laughs> i mean i do i i think that there is a it's weird that the one obviously they have the um little romantic beat on the boat yes but that's really the only romantic beat you get in the movie until you get to the end and when the arc is opened up he his first thing before he even closes his own eyes is he yells out to marion shut your eyes do not open them for any reason whatsoever yeah he cares about her and, more than himself he's, he's dealing right, with her first exactly yeah. yeah 
And so I do think there is something to be said with the the idea that you're throwing out in that he he finds more the the real love was the friends we made along the way or something like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you want to boil it down to a stupid sentiment, I. Uh, <laughs> but no, like, I'm like I'm not saying it's that that impo- like. I mean, it is important. It, like, it's important because it's one of the reasons why the movie works. I think, mm-hmm. but it's like I'm not saying it's it's like as key to the movie as like themes and other movies are to them because ultimately it is like about the action. It's about the adventure. It's about him jumping from things and fighting yeah. and all the rest of it. But I do think that little nugget is there, and I do think it adds a little bit of a layer to it that just makes it feel a bit fuller. And I think it's something that when I complain about some, you know, empty, hollow action movies, because I don't think this feels hollow. And I think yeah. if it was just the action, it may feel a little bit hollow. And But it has this. It has it has enough of a thing here that you can get behind. There's even a part of the movie where he, she, he thinks she's dead for a little bit. And you never yeah. believe it as an audience. If, you, if, you, if you've ever watched the movie, you're like, no, nah, I didn't see a body, therefore I yeah. don't believe a damn thing. But... He does think yeah, she's and, dead for a little and, bit. And immediately following that scene, he drinks himself into a stupor. So clearly, that's him coming to terms with the fact of, ah, oh, geez, I got feelings. I gave a shit. I actually yeah. give a shit about her, and now I, I can't do anything about it. And then he's given a chance to do something about it. So yep. I, he I guess... still leaves her behind. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in a way, the movie really is about, like, him like realizing he does give a shit about another person. It's about giving a shit about mm-hmm. her. Uh and that's kind of sweet when you think about it and oh yeah you know and i mean if if i were to rank the genres of indiana jones romance would be towards the bottom but it would still be there yeah yeah well i mean it's not like i wouldn't even call it a romance though like it's not i wouldn't say it's part of the genres it's just like i don't think just because you have a, a love story within your movie it's inherently a romantic movie you know because it's not the the focus you know lots of different types of stories have romance in them but i I just you know i I think when you actually stop and look at how the movie makes up i do think that is the heart of the film and why the characters end up being endearing and it's why at the end of the film you're not thinking oh indy you're a prick because you keep doing this to her you're actually (laughs) kind of rooting for him and you're like no you know what that was actually kind of heartfelt that he now just cares about her um and he's willing to you know do this that and the other to to get go after you know when when he when he jumped, you know, when there's that moment right later on, and we're just jumping around now, but <laughs> I'm realizing. But later on, right, when so we have the big truck chase, which we'll talk about, but he actually steals the Ark from the Nazis, and mm-hmm. he's got her as well, and they, they're put in this boat by Salah, who's John Reese davies character, who's like his friend in Cairo, who's been helping him throughout the film. Yep. And they go on this boat, and they're kind of playing it like maybe the captain's sketchy. It turns out he's not, but like you think he might be because uh, mm-hmm. the way he's introduced sort of like sort of very ominously and then there's even later on marion thinks he's sketchy but he's really just trying to like keep her with them so that she, the nazis yeah. don't take her uh but she doesn't know that and indy's hiding and they're like where's indy because they can't find them after the nazis leave the boat and they've taken the ark they've taken marion and there's this li- li- literal in the movie like cheer moment where the entire <laughs> crew of the boat start cheering when they see indy just start climbing onto the sub and yeah. it's this this idea that they didn't expect him to pop up over there. And I think when that moment happens, it does feel like it's more about going after Marion, even at that point, than it is the the arc. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels that way to me at that point. And I think it's because it's right after that that scene where they do have that romantic moment where Well, I think it's I don't I don't think there's any point after 
I mean, how far back does it even go? Definitely the rocket launcher scene, but even long before that, I don't think there's any point where he is going after the Ark more than Marion. I think it's Marion pretty much from the point where they get separated after the airplane thing. Or yeah, after, I mean, the boat, but even then, before that, I think it's just, I think it's Marion pretty much all right up until after he loses her. I think everything after that is, he's going after her, and when he has her, he's going after the Ark. But as soon as the Ark and her are gone, it's just about her. Yeah, it's, it's after the snake pit stuff. Like, that's when yeah. the reunitedness from then on. Because yeah, because it's after that where I think the movie really kicks into gear. So there's that, there's that fight around the plane uh, mm-hmm. spinning around. Yeah. Um, and the propellers are going. Um, and Bronson from the 30s shows up to have a boxing oh, yeah. match with... Uh... Back then it was called Fisticuffs. You were a pugilist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like... I mean, I think that facing is great. Like, I, you know, oh, if, yeah. if we're, if we're t- t- taking out the sequences that are very thrilling, I think that one's great because you've got Marion using the, the turret <laughs> and the gun yeah. to, or in the plane to like shoot some of the soldiers that are coming. You've got Indy ducking the propellers and and the big guy. You know, obviously, you don't see the actual impact, but you do see blood spatter onto the the, the swastika on the yeah. plane, so you get like mm-hmm. a good implication of it. Um, there's, there's a good bit of that. Um, so that, that's good fun um yep. and uh, the truck chase is probably the best action scene in the movie it's it's just like no yeah i agree with that. i'm just th- i'm thinking if i if there's anything else that i think stands up to it but now i think truck chase probably is just it's it's so well choreographed it's so well thought out every beat leads into the next beat of the action i think it's yeah it's probably the peak of the action of the movie and you know it's all stomach i mean the only thing I do notice sometimes when I'm watching it is there is a few shots that they have clearly sped up to make it look like they're going faster. But yeah. you can tell that it's just sped up film. Like, it's just it's kind of unavoidable to notice. Um, it's particularly when Indy is knocked out the front of the truck and he, he then sort of, like, goes down under the truck and sort of, you know, worms his way back to the back of the truck and then mm-hmm. climbs up over the top again. A lot of that is sped up because so presumably when they were doing this with a stuntman, they were going at a slower speed because presumably if they're going the speed that they were meant to actually be going at, uh, in the truck, it would probably like just skin the stuntman's back. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a protective layer or whatever he's wearing, but I'm sure there's limitations to how fast you can go dragging someone on the ground <laughs> like that. I mean, back then, yes, for sure, and it's also a matter of like padding and whatnot. But I, I also think that it's incredible from just back then the amount of stuff that they were able to do. Now, I know this is the problem I have in my mind of that whenever there's a period film, part of like the lizard brain and back is like, this was made during the 30s. It all <laughs> looks like it's 30s, so it's made during the 30s. And I have to realize like, no, this was 81. Get over it. But I do think that there's only maybe four scenes in this whole movie that I think, not. I can only think of two at the moment. I'm just bumping up the numbers because i'm assuming i missed some but there's only like two scenes in this movie that use actual special special effects rather than practical effects and it's amazing to me how much they got done with just practical effects oh yeah um the one that sticks out is when they're digging for where yeah. the ark is and there's like this sort of like lightning in the background and it looks quite green screeny for, for the time period yeah, when when there's the two scenes are the lightning in the background and the spirits flying around when they open the ark. 
And the spirits are done really well because it's all painted in. I think that they managed to make that look great. But having to paint out the backgrounds of whatever Indy was standing in front of, that's where they were like, okay, maybe not the best. Mm. Yeah. Also, I do notice a few of the action figures they use. Uh, you know, when the Germans are all dying around the mm. arc at the end and the, the flames are coming out, you can see like a few like, you know, mannequins or whatever they are for the soldiers, like sort of sitting completely still, uh, yeah. you know, waiting for the flames to hit them. Uh, obviously, I mean, that main lead is naturally into the the brutal stuff, which is obviously the face mm-hmm. melting at the end, everyone remembers when the arc is owned, yep. um, which looks great, especially on the main bad guy, you know, the, the, the guy with the glasses and the hat and the, the leather jacket. Yeah. I, I We've mentioned him a few times. Let me see if I can get his actual name here. Uh, it's, uh, it was Tot. T-O-H-T. Tot. Okay. Tot. Yeah, he he obviously is very memorable. He has kind of a slimy presence to him. When he comes mm-hmm. in, you know, throw line this, throw line that. Uh, the coat hanger moment where he that, pulled, I, it, I completely forgot that was even a moment, and yeah. it got me. Like I, I was caught off guard by it. Yeah, he, he walks in, he pulls out this uh, contraption. It's like you know, a, a, like a stick that breaks into multiple parts, and you're like, oh, it's mm-hmm. some sort of torture device. And then he forms it around, and it turns into a coat hanger for his coat, and that's all it is. Yep. And even the characters in the scene like breathe a little sigh of relief, like they thought it was some sort yeah. of like, oh, where's that going? <laughs> I mean, it's supposed to be a comedy beat, and it works. Like it yeah. absolutely is. Just and it's it's so strange to have this comedy beat in such a tense moment. Like you said, we thought she was about to be tortured, and then they managed to jam in a little joke there, just because. Hey, why not? Well, I think it works because it's like uh, relieving a stress because the threat of torture is still there. That's still the implication that he's he's here to do that. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know as we go on but it's also just an it's not a silly joke either though mm. like it, it shows how on edge like marion and even like the french guy is because they're yeah. both like <gasps> we're like holding their breath like what was this thing uh the other ones that stuck out to me is uh during the bar scene there's a guy on fire the indy shoots in the head and it just looks quite brutal yeah it there was that because it's weird in the same scene we had um a bait and switch where there's a guy who has his gun trained on Indy and then you hear the gunshot sound effect and then you cut back to him and he just does the thing where he spurts out blood from his mouth and mm. falls over and that's like the PG way to do it but then not 30 seconds earlier you got headshot while on fire <laughs> yes and so it just felt like there was different levels of the sensor going on there yeah and then obviously uh Tot has the uh I'll call it the home alone where he goes to pick up the medallion, but because it's around fire, it burns his hand and he, he runs outside and sticks his hand in the snow, which mm-hmm. I actually, maybe I just forgot about it, but I don't know if I noticed before the, the reason why the Germans are able to have, uh, right. Cause so but they need this medallion to put on a staff and it'll like point when the light shines through it, it'll point to where the arc is. Right. Mm-hmm. And They've made a duplicate, and then they find this out. Oh, they've got a duplicate, but it only has stuff on one side. It only has markings on one side. They right. say, how, how could they have that? And how have they only got one side of it right? So, therefore, their, their, their outcome's wrong. They've got the long, wrong location. Yeah. That's a plot point. I think this was the first time I realized that when Tot shows up and he holds up his hand to say the, the Hail Hitler thing, mm-hmm. um, and he's got, like, it burned into his hand. I'm like, oh, that's how they made the duplicate with only one side. <laughs> right, yep. Because it's, it's in the in the moment when he has it burned into his hand, it's played, again, almost as like a comedy beat. Because, like you said, it's Home Alone. He holds onto it 
for a comically long time. You see him scream and then just literally run through a window. It's all comedic, but then it actually relates back into the plot, which I don't think you were, because it was a comedic beat, you're not thinking about it. You're not thinking about it until it gets to the point where he shows his hand and it's like, oh, right, that happened. That was a thing. Yeah, so there is like definite set-off and payoff in this. It's, it's not, you know, when we say it doesn't necessarily follow the traditional rules of storytelling and mm-hmm. its structure, it's not that it completely ignores everything. It's, it's just, no. you know, it, just, it it has some unconventional things that it, it does and doesn't do. Um, but little moments like that are actually great little payoffs. Um, so, yeah, you know, the middle, like, obviously the Cairo has the, the chase in the marketplace with the, the guy with the sword, Marion right. hides in the basket. Uh, which is how she gets kidnapped the first time. You would think that she's dead because the, the truck blows up. Um, I mean, yeah. we don't really, but they, we're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've got that. And like you said, Indy drinks himself uh, into a stupor after that when he thinks she's dead. But right. the, the search goes on, and they use the real medallion to find the location. Um, so Indy and that actually like find the real arc. They've, they've got it. They're going to take it out. And it's just, it just so happens in the morning that uh, Balak just looks over and notices these guys digging somewhere. But wait a minute, what's this? <laughs> Which, that, that, I appreciate that because they did nothing to mask that they were just digging in a totally different area. Yep. So I appreciate the fact that it's just one guy's like, why are, why are they up? I'm going to go check that out. Like, it seems obvious, and it doesn't have to be some wildly convoluted thing of, you know, Balak was looking over the stones of the whatever, and they found this extra marking that reveals this super secret thing. It's just, no, he looked up there as he was walking by. That's all it took. And that's what I appreciate out of that, as we were saying at the beginning, the and then style of storytelling there, where it's just, and then Balak sees it. We don't have to go into this whole big thing of, like, setting it up that he sees it he just sees it it just happens yeah um if i one, one little moment that happened just before this as well is uh you know paying off the what was set up earlier about marianne or yeah, i keep saying marianne marion uh mm-hmm. her drinking thing at the start is that she intentionally starts drinking with bellick to you yep. know and she's laughing and giggling along and she's obviously pretending because we know she can hold her liquor right we mm-hmm. know she can do it from the start of the movie so we know this is her attempt at escaping. That's why she's agreed to put on this white dress that he wanted her to wear. Yeah. Uh, you know, all that stuff. Um, and obviously it's when she tries to walk out, that's when, uh, you know, Tot walks in with his coat yeah. hanger and whatnot. But, like, all, all of this, uh, just, like, you know, it's, again, she's very capable, but much like Indy, like, her plans would make sense. We know she can pull it off to an extent, just keep mm. being thwarted by yet another thing in the way. Yeah. It just keeps escalating, and it does. Like you know, it it goes from you know, just, Indy just going to a different dig site. It goes from that to uh, the fight in the 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 plane that's not in the air, just on the ground. But it goes mm-hmm. to that to riding a horse and jumping onto a truck, which then turns into jumping onto a submarine. Which I do have to ask the question, like, because I assume the submarine descends into the water. Did Indy get into the submarine, or did he just hold his breath for a? <laughs> unfathomable amount of time we're just we're just gonna assume that the submarine did not go underwater because to say anything else means that indiana jones is actually a superhero (laughs) or already dead (laughs) 
I haven't heard that theory before. He's a everything zombie. After, everything after the, oh, the whole movie, he's a zombie? That's what we find out in Last Crusade when we do the young Indiana Jones thing. Is he actually died at that moment, and everything after this is voodoo curse. He's been a supernatural being ever since. Damn. Never would have seen it coming. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, like, the, the, the truck chase is great. Uh, the, 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 the boat stuff with him getting out of the submarine, also great. Um, mm. And all, it all builds, obviously, to... They're at their base on this island, and... It's basically a Bellic who's like, hey, don't don't leave it for the Fuhrer to like open the ark. We should check it first because he just wants to mm-hmm. look because he's 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 an archaeologist and he keeps he's been claiming all movie that him and Indy are a lot alike and Indy just doesn't want to admit it. Uh, yeah, and I think the the proof is at the end is that Indy cares about someone more than you know the artifact. It's kind of the the point, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whereas Bellic didn't want to, he didn't care about uh, Marion. He just wanted to control her. He just wanted to keep mm-hmm. her. As a as a play thing, if you will. So, what was the? It was Phantom, it, with the whole thing of like, oh, she'll be a good slave and whatnot. Like, yeah, especially. I'm, I, I'm realizing just how much Phantom was taking from Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, a uh, 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 very very large amount. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, because because it's after this where the rocket launcher thing happens because they don't. They can't even fathom that Indy's like followed them on the submarine, uh, right? And but of course, as, as soon as uh, uh, Bellic turns around, he's like, "Jones, it's always him. It's always Jones." He does it earlier on with the plane. Actually, as soon as the plane explodes and it's all from the distance, so they don't know what's going on. He just he sees the explosion. He's like, "Jones, <laughs> it's always him. He's always this thorn in his side." Yeah, I mean, I I appreciate it. If there's one thing that I do feel this movie was lacking is they didn't quite give enough history between Jones and Bellic. Like mm. we, Indy keeps on saying, "Oh, or sorry, Bellic actually keeps on saying, I keep on taking your stuff. I have done this numerous times before, and everyone keeps saying that they he's been showing up. But I would have liked there to be just one or two specifics to that. I know I was talking more about keeping the mystery, but this one feels like. It would have benefited from even just throwing out a line of like, ah, remember our time in Burma or whatever? Like just one little thing that's expanded a tiny bit on. Because by the time it gets to this point of him turning around going, Jones, I feel like there should have been some other point where we get the story of how Indiana thwarted him a few times. Because that it feels like that's happened, and yet we never quite get that. Okay, yeah. Um... But yeah, so they open the arc at the end. Yeah. Uh, and we already mentioned, you know, Indy cares about Mary and tells her to close her eyes. They keep their eyes closed. And all of these other douchebags uh, melt. <laughs> now, I guess, let me ask this. Is there any... Is there anything that they said up to this point that would allude to the fact that you open it up and you melt? Like, I know when they were looking through the book at the beginning, they said like, oh, that's lightning or God's energy or whatever like that. But like... I don't know. Part of it to me seemed that if it was sort of a, one of those, if you are impure and trying mm-hmm. to use this sort of thing. So obviously all the Nazis got destroyed, but I wondered what would happen if like, you know, Indy himself tried to open it or someone even more righteous than him. Even that's a good question. Uh, I, I kind of like, 
I think there's an element here where it's like, okay, we, we theorize the power that's in there, but we don't really know what it's going to do. It, yeah. you know, it, 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 it does this. Um, but I, I think it's an interesting question. Do, do they only get melted because they are, well, Nazis and, mm. you know, awful people? You know, maybe maybe Indy and Marion would be fine if they opened their eyes. We, we don't know. Yeah. I just, I, I don't remember there ever being a specific line of like, and everyone who looks in the Ark is dead. Like, they never quite go that far. Yeah. But Indy, of course, believes now. He sees enough of it before it properly kicks off that he, he mm-hmm. you know, he can believe it now. And that, you know, again, ties into like him believing in things, you know, including love. <laughs> so <laughs> he sees the inside of the Ark and his first thought is, I'm going to marry this woman. <laughs> oh, and also close your eyes. <laughs> yeah. And you have the ironic ending, of course, with, uh, like, they're not happy the Americans have taken it, and they're like, oh, we'll mm. have people, you know, looking into it. Top men, as he says. Uh, it's supposed to go in the museum. It's supposed to be researched, because it's very dangerous. It's a weapon of mass yep. destruction, effectively, uh, mm. with the famous ending of just it being in this giant government warehouse where... It might never be looked at ever again. <laughs> or it might be looked at 20 years later when uh, some skull comes out. Who knows? I don't want to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to bring that up. Uh, so in the last scene with Indy and uh, Marion, though, before this, uh, when he's leaving this place and you know she comes down and asks how it went, you know it ends with her saying, come on, let's go get a drink. And Indy's like, preoccupied and annoyed with what's went down. But he yeah. ultimately puts out his arm to be like, okay, let's go. And so... It kind of sums up their relationship in a nutshell, the whole movie, which is he cares about this thing deeply uh, and she's this other force in his life that while he's not going to necessarily go like or think about her first, but he ultimately will let her in. And that I think that's just a little symbolic thing at the end. Like, no, he's letting her in, which, which is what I mean when I say when she's not in the, the follow up movies, you're kind of, you know, effectively just ignoring kind of what little arc this movie had. Yeah, <laughs> right. But, but I yeah. also think, again, going all the way back to the serial talk, I think that to have a happy ending, quote unquote, you can have that in the old serials. But at the same time, when the next serial starts up, it's yeah. got to be pretty much back to the status quo, more or less, for people who didn't catch that one. Yeah, no, that's for sure. I, I, it's a, like I say, it's, it's a fascinating success of a movie. Because mm-hmm. it is extremely entertaining. Uh, Harrison Ford's great as Indy, right? He he's very charismatic. He has that kind of gruff charm that he's known for. Uh, mm-hmm. Karen Allen's great as Marion. The villains are very memorable, and like they're like there's so much style in the film. It's you know it's a very much a arguably you could call it stale over substance, right? But it's a case where well that works. It's not a negative uh, yeah. in the sense. It's you know it's the style of like shooting the you know, the, the shadows of the reveals of the characters, of the uh, the the overly cinematic way that some of the moments are captured. You know whether mm-hmm. it's Marion screaming when they're in the pit of snakes where, where they got the arc, um, or whether it's you know the 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 absurd like almost Ghostbusters esque kind of visual of these ghosts <laughs> coming out of the arc and then the yeah. the grotesqueness of the melting faces. It's a movie just full of like creativity and just like yeah. you know that's what it says like and then and then and then um and kind of works in that sense and i i don't know like if you can mimic exactly what raiders is and make it successful i think any sort of follow-up indie that does work has to kind of be slightly something different and 
that's why I'm actually excited to look at the sequels again and sort of see like if they do feel different in their structure and how they play out the story that they try and just mimic what Raiders did. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm definitely fascinated like if the new one does because. I don't know if you could just mimic the structure of this in a new Indiana Jones movie. I feel like you'd have to like make a different type of movie now. Yeah, no, I mean, I I also think just the market has also changed because mm-hmm. as much as we appreciate this movie for what it is and how well crafted it is, if this specific movie, just completely one for one, came out in 2023, I don't think it would be as appreciated. I don't think it would be as good, really. Like the the tastes of the audience have changed. And if this were dropped in 2023, rather than having the frame of it, the lens of it being 40 years removed, I think that that changes how it is perceived, even in a meta sense. I think that's almost an impossible scenario to discuss because some things just would be different. Even if you were effectively taking the exact same script and making it today, There'd be some things yeah. that would just be different because of the time period. But I mean, I I guess but, I guess the way that I'm talking about it is if you had somebody who's never heard of Indiana Jones before, you would, he had no idea when it was released, and you showed him this with no context that it came out in 1980, how would they perceive it? Well, I think it's a yes and no thing because I, I think mm-hmm. would it be as mass market successful? Probably, definitely not. But. Yeah. I do think it would probably, because one of the things about watching a movie like this, when you're used to what modern movies are, and might be sick of what a lot of modern blockbusters are, this is actually quite refreshing. I think there's yeah. a certain portion of the film audience that would probably get quite attached to it, just because it's offering something different. Oh, uh, yeah. No doubt. I, I No no lie, Not less than an hour before we started this review, I re-listened to our Uncharted review. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we were every once in a while we were just throwing the comparison to like here's why it sucks compared <laughs> to indiana jones yeah and that was when it wasn't as fresh in our heads i, I can only mm-hmm. imagine what i think if i watched uncharted right now like if i went and watched the chart i'm yeah. not going to but if i did <laughs> i can only imagine the comparisons and how even poorer that movie would look in my eyes with this fresh in my head yeah and i mean i i still have it burned into my brain somewhere and it's definitely not standing up to this movie at all so there is there is something to you have to come up with your own thing and this was its own thing in 1981 it was its own fresh idea and i think that it it really worked with what it had the whole way through yeah and which is not to give it to say that it's this low budget movie it wasn't it was a steven oh, no. spielberg you know george lucas movie it, it had for its time, a respectably big budget. It was. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the tagline right here from the creators of Star Wars and Jaws. So yes, that movie had yeah. money by you know by the time standards. So yes. you know they, but that's what I think it is. I think it's people in their prime with this creativity, just riffing and doing stuff they like. And mm-hmm. let's face it, you know George Lucas, you know he has Star Wars, he has his hand in Indiana Jones. And both of them, in some way, are inspired heavily by serials and a few other things. Star Wars yeah. obviously also dips into Kurosawa and some other stuff as well. But, right. um, but they're they're both based on these serials. It's almost like even George Lucas is guilty of just being a nostalgia like like hoarder. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think that's 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 a good point though. Is that the the things that these people made were things that were nostalgic to them. And they just 
took the best aspects of them, adapted them into a slightly modern age, but still just presented them as innocently as the things that they remember from their past. Yeah, the big and, difference, though, is that they're presented as new things, whereas right. we're getting, you know, here's the seventh sequel to something because we want to melt a specific IP for nostalgia. Right. I mean, just just the fact we're getting a fifth Indiana Jones movie yeah. in 2023. I said the words 40 years removed, and we're still doing that. And Star Wars episode, who knows what, will be coming out eventually. Actually, this actually feeds into something I've, I've, I've brought up before, just in talking about Stranger Things, is that mm. I think Stranger Things is really great. And people say, well, it's this like homage and this nostalgia for like all these things from the 80s. How is that any you know less cynical than you know these nostalgia movies that are coming out? And mm-hmm. my argument always was, and I'm, I'm I'm just more solidified having this conversation in my mind is that it's it's paying homage to what all those movies in that time period made me feel watching them. Right? It's paying homage right. to Aliens. It's paying homage to the Goonies and ET, and it's paying homage to all these different things. But it's it's using the the ideas and the themes and the 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 feelings that those evoked and it's trying to repackage them into something in its own way in its own voice whereas when you go see i don't know ghostbusters afterlife it's just hey remember ghostbusters and how good ghostbusters was let's all jack off about ghostbusters for the next two hours yeah no it's it's the difference between like you said the homage for the feelings repackaging that rather than literally bringing back michael keaton to say let's get nuts oh my god i i oh i, I cannot <laughs> even begin to describe how <laughs> how much i groaned at the sound of that but that, that, that's the thing stranger things as to the properties from not specifically raiders because that's like a different but like right stranger things as to a good dozen properties in the 80s what star wars and indiana jones are to the serials of the right. of the 30s and 40s and that sort of time period like Star Wars specifically, I think the biggest one was Flash Gordon, the Flash yeah. Gordon serials from back then. This is this is the same thing there, where Indiana Jones had its own serials. Stranger Things was, I mean, you go back to the very beginning of Stranger Things, you can very clearly pick out the first season. Like this is the, the teenager plot is specifically like the slasher movies. The kids plot is specifically like E.T. and films like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can pick out what things it's homaging, but it's never direct enough where it feels like, oh, they're just parodying or, oh, yeah. they're just spoofing. It's the feeling that it involves. Absolutely. So I'm definitely going to use this in arguments uh, in the future when this comes up that right. Indy and Star Wars were already what Stranger Things is for that generation. And mm-hmm. maybe not to the same extent where I don't think the audience has seen these movies when they came out right were that well, into those things from that, that time period but I don't that's think it also just an issue that's an issue of accessibility as well oh sure, like, oh, yeah, sure absolutely yeah yeah back in the 80s how are you meant to watch anything besides buying a prohibitively expensive vcr player or hoping it just showed back well, up in theaters i mean even in the case of the first star wars like i mean vcrs i think it existed by 77 but they weren't like super right. widely adopted until the start of the 80s i would say yeah exactly prohibitively expensive so like yeah so the era those serials all came out and were decades before there was such a thing as home media formats mm-hmm. and even then the home media wasn't publishing the serials no no 
so. there's a chance that some network might have aired them like in like a, a morning mm-hmm. slot or something maybe yeah but but you the, the odds that you manage to tune into it or find it in any way are slim is what we're saying whereas nowadays if you want to watch the things that inspired stranger things you just pay 2.99 and there it is yeah so 289 is a bit optimistic but i sure okay. <laughs> have you seen netflix's prices recently <laughs> I mean, I was talking more from like a renting standpoint, but you can't, you yeah. can't rent a district things. But no, I was talking about the inspirations. Like oh, sure, yeah, Nightmare yeah, on Elm Street and whatnot. Oh yeah, of course, of course, yeah, you can rent those. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah and it's, uh, yeah, even that part of it leads into just how, because of technology and time and how generations are different, like how it's different mm-hmm. for us and these modern properties versus those old properties for them back in the seventies and eighties, but. Oh, but, see, but see that's the one thing and we'll get to it when we get to crystal skull but that's the one thing i really remember from that movie is that there's so many large swaths of that movie that are just jacking themselves off over hey it's indiana jones the first one in like 30 years let's just talk yeah. about all the things he used to do back in the day as opposed and, to this which is indirectly uh, try to be something that harkens back to all the feelings that those serials right were, are supposed to make you feel exactly so Obviously, this series will have its ups and downs as we go through it. Yeah. I mean, definitely get into a couple of broader topics with this one that I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. to, but I'm not mad because... Uh... I mean, we don't need to talk about the plot of Indiana Everyone knows the plot of Indiana Jones. It's And if you don't, watch the movie. Why are you still listening to us at this point? <laughs> like, go I mean... see it. I think I'll probably talk about the plot of the other ones more because I don't remember them as well. I've seen this one yeah. the most, and it's like... I almost feel that the more I've seen a movie, the more I, I feel less inclined to describe what's going on in it and rather just talk mm-hmm. about ideas and themes and intricacies and, and stuff like that. Uh, right. Whereas, yeah, I don't remember like, that much from Last Crusade, so I'm probably going to like you know talk about uh, like Sean Connor as his dad and shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember like the final puzzles, but everything yeah. leading up to that, just gone yeah it's all very vague uh but yes but anyway to swear it back around raiders of the lost ark yep. is an excellent action adventure film emphasis on mm-hmm. the adventure perhaps over the action um yep. obviously it has been mimicked uh sometimes somewhat successfully you know the first mummy from 1999 is a fun enough movie yeah um and then but but some, see, sometimes that, not but even then the mummy goes back to that same sort of discussion because the original mummy film was made back in what the 30s 40s something like that so it may have been just mocking it's or not mocking but inspired by the stuff that was coming out of those serials that were coming out at the same time so it it may have just used the same sort of inspiration that indiana jones used yeah but the first like the mummy movie from 1932 which i have seen Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh like i wouldn't say has that it definitely feels like maybe the maybe the took indiana jones as an influence because it like basically it's like a mash between indiana jones and that original mummy movie <laughs> like that, right. that that's, yeah, that's what that's what mummy 1999 is so i i do think the you know they, they cast a hero oh. they cast brendan fraser in the in the role yeah. um even his color scheme i mean admittedly a lot of people wore brown and white and tan i was gonna say in that if you go period. back to the 1930s desert and you don't see khaki i'm not sure you're in the right place <laughs> so yeah admittedly i'm not sure uh if that's just just uh, the natural color scheme that he'd be wearing anyway but mm-hmm. you know 
Uh, which, by the way, weren't you were supposed to be wearing a jacket for this? I feel like you promised that. Uh... I was going to put it in the thumbnail. It's it's oh. sitting over there. Okay. Mainly because it is hot. I uh, don't I, want to wear a jacket. I, I knew you were going to chicken out because of the heat. <laughs> I could easily have turned on the AC, but then the audio quality would go down. So I had to, I had to hedge my bets here. Oh, okay. It was a noble act for the, the yes. audience. Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Raiders is great. So, and hopefully the, uh, any critiques that we may, and uh, you know, I don't really have that much other than just, yeah, it does go against some storytelling conventions and kind of succeeds yeah. in spite of it. Uh, the only things that I was really noticing that I felt they need to point out was just, you know, one or two obvious, uh, like, you know, mannequins or whatever for mm. a couple of moments. But that's, yeah, not, that's, I mean, that's not a big deal, obviously. It's just whatever. Yeah, for me, for me, practical effects, special effects, I just let all those slide. Like, it was whatever. The only thing that I really felt the need to nitpick was the fact that from the bar scene to... I guess I would say the them digging up the arc scene just felt like a series of vignettes that weren't as strongly linked as they should have been. That's the only major critique I can give. And even then, it's such a minor point in that I still enjoyed each little vignette. Mm. It was only when they transitioned between each other. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess we're here now. Sorry, I just need to readjust. Yeah, the bar scene is fantastic, though, so I wouldn't even oh, like, yeah, no. knock against that. That's great. Uh, I think I think if there was one thing character-wise that I want to critique, it's the Nazi monkey. Because I I appreciate the fact that the monkey is supposed to be this spy for the Nazis, but at the same time, it ends up being nothing. Like it's only used during the basket chase scene, and then the monkey just dies. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about the monkey that much, did we? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the monkey's introduced, and it's basically just used to show that someone tried to poison Indy. Yeah, and the monkey. But then, but there's a good like thirty minutes in between its introduction to the monkey died instead. Like, and during that plot, he's a Nazi monkey used as a spy to try to track down Indy and Marion. <laughs> it's just a strange little subplot, and I don't dislike it, but it just feels so strangely out of place in this story otherwise yeah, that's, that's fair hmm. um yeah I, I think yeah the the opening like section is great and i'm including pretty much up until the bar scene and that yeah like, that opening like half hour is fantastic and then once they get out of the snake pit basically till the end is just a, yeah. an adrenaline ride the whole way and that's where the heart of the film comes into it with indy like wanting to save her more than the, the arc uh, and it's not like superly leaned on either that, that's the great thing about this is that i'm saying it's there and i felt something when he made that choice but it's not overly you know sentimental it doesn't go super hard into it yeah. it's it's very much just there if you're paying attention and you can get a bit more out of it but it's not like overweighing the uh the, the spectacle of the chase and the villains and mm-hmm. all of the other stuff so uh yeah that's uh very, very good. So I guess, yeah. David, it is time to rate the film out of 10. Oh boy. Okay. So I don't want to be viewed as some sort of a pariah if I rate this too low. But then again, <laughs> I will not be swayed by public opinion. I think it's great. I think it is just a solid, fantastic movie. Um, it's almost two hours long. I never really felt the length. 
It always felt like it was moving forward at a brisk pace. It had a lot to say. It had a lot to do. It looked great. And despite the fact we didn't talk about it pretty much at any point, the score, amazing. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, the score is wonderful. I mean, we talked about yeah. the main theme coming in and not coming in fully yeah. until probably the horse race and maybe the most, like, the the, the biggest that hits is probably that reveal that he's, he's climbed out of the submarine. Because it's, yeah. it's such a, like, you know, he'll, he'll just... It's like because Batman, he'll just he'll always find yeah. his way to the danger to deal with it. You know, it, absolutely. It's a big moment. But even then, there are like two to three other main theme songs throughout yes. this movie. All of them great. Although um, I will just this is the mainest. This is like such a minor oh. nitpick. But in the opening section, there is a couple of bits that do sound almost like they're taking right out of Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, at that point, what was out? Episode five was already out. Yeah. Empire was the year before, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's possible. I know John Williams just has a general sound to him. It, no, and... I mean, don't get me wrong. Composers all have their little things where you can kind of hear mm-hmm. little bits bleeding in between scores to each other. But there was just some stuff when he was like walking through the jungle where it sounded like, um, like oh, at any point, like a stormtrooper was going to walk around the corner. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, it just—I was feeling. Like, once it gets to the main themes and stuff, it sounds—it's so wholly unique in Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was—it was when it was in the darker horn stuff. It was like, oh, this sounds Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's just because Star Wars uses a bunch of the darker horn stuff. You got the March of the Empire. You got Vader's theme. You got stuff like that. So it's just hard to make it unique when you've already used seven different tracks with that sort of sound. Yeah, but it's not like at any point I was going. Oh, I can hear Jaws in here, or yeah. I can hear E.T. in here. It was specifically just that. I know some people criticize and say that the Superman theme and Star Wars sound a, a lot alike, and I can tell about the same person, but I never get them mixed up. They're, they're, they're very distinct to me. I can't remember what theme it was. You know you know what it was? It was the Superman theme. When I was, There was a long period where I was trying to remember the Superman theme. I didn't want to look it up, and I would always end up evolving into Star Wars. Every time I'd be like, oh, if, da, if da, 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 wait, hold on, stop, what? Yeah, it's very easy to transition between them if you're humming them, but it's, yeah. I think they're pretty distinct enough. Oh, yeah, for sure. Anyway, score-wise, uh, because of all the things I said, like, three minutes ago, I'm going to give this one an 8.5. I don't quite want to smack it with the 9 yet. I don't think that any indie film will probably get to the 9. But this just doesn't feel like it's quite at nine level for me personally. See, I think I will go with the nine because I think, okay. it, like, its sense of adventure is kind of unparalleled in other mm-hmm. movies, and a, a lot of that is the last like forty minutes, which I I just think once once that stuff kind of kicks off, uh, once we kind of get out of the you know the desert of Cairo, basically, yeah, uh, is is or is where it really starts to kind of just all sing as far as an action movie goes. Um, mm. But the characters are very iconic. The, the, you know, the, like they feel like Harrison Ford, especially, but they feel like movie stars. I feel like I'm watching oh, yeah. movie stars in a film by a director. And there's so many, and it's not just good because I'm compared it to modern movies. Like it was always great, but yeah. it's hard not to think about modern movies. And I, I watch some of these like movies that are all shot the exact same way. They all have the same sense of humor and things like that, you know, Marvel is a lot of what I'm saying here, but not just Marvel, there's definitely other examples, there's definitely stuff that's made for Netflix and stuff like that. Yeah. And it just, it feels like 
things go into a factory and they come out feeling the exact same. This movie has identity. It has a personality in and of itself, both in its shooting style, how it handles its characters. It's not afraid to be a little dark with how it kills off its like red shirts and its villains. Mm. It's got the great music, of course. It's got the cinematography. It's got the action set pieces. And it maybe doesn't have the strongest story of a, a movie ever, but it's mm. less important in this particular case. It might be more of an issue if like all the other elements aren't as up to par in future movies. We'll find out right. as we go. But um, no, nah, 9 out of 10. I think it deserves place. It's not my favorite Spielberg movie. That's fair. I, I mean, Spielberg has done a lot of high quality stuff. I don't doubt that there's something that tops it. I mean, for me personally, I agree with everything you were saying. Uh, the only reason I'm talking to that extra half point is I think I do put a bit more emphasis on that bridge between the bar scene to the pit scene. Mm-hmm. And I just, I wanted it to just be a little bit more, a little bit, something bigger to hold me all together there. So that's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Um, meanwhile, meanwhile, where are we going to put it in our collection? Oh yes, uh, does it does it make the cut? Well, obviously it does make the cut, uh, but does it quite get to a cut above? I feel like mm-hmm. um, we'll say what you think, and we'll see uh, how I agree. But oh, given that you rate, you rated it slightly <laughs> lower, though, so I feel like no, no, that's fair, that's fair. Um, I always view the collection rating as completely separate from the point score. It's more mm-hmm. about just how is this in terms of do you think you should own this? Is this something that's just worth having? And I have to give that an absolutely yes on this one. So I would give it the cut above. I think that if you are making a collection and you're thinking, should I put Raiders in there? Absolutely. There's no reason not to put this movie in any sort of collection you're making for just movies in general, let alone the smaller subset themes you could go into. I'm not going to argue. I mean, it's a classic. Yeah. Right. You know, I so, read it even higher than you did. So I, I, yeah. I think, I think it does belong. Um, is this the first regular episode where we've given something above the cut? Yep. Or cut above, rather. Yep. Hold on, I got to check the Santa Claus movies real quick. No, uh, no. Yeah, no, it's above. It's the only one who's yeah. above. It's not the first movie in general that we've given a cut above to, because uh, one of our bonus shows over in Patreon.com slash TV that's monthly uh, extra reels at the $5 tier, uh, we mm-hmm. do so bad they're good movies, and we actually gave a cut above to a, a terrible but wonderful <laughs> movie called Dangerous Men. So this is actually yep. the second movie that's been a cut above. But Although by this point, there's another show going on, Pete. Oh, true, true. Of course, of course, a cut. Of course, Seven Samurai was a cut above as well. Yes, uh, on our monthly show that just started, uh, uh, Collectors Cut the Collection. It's a Criterion show where we do Criterion movies. It's the opposite of Extra Reels. That's not locked behind Patreon or anything like that. But mm-hmm. uh, it's alternative, which is the worst movies of all time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Extra Reels uh, is on Patreon, as is our monthly bonus episode. Uh, as we mentioned at the start, we did The Phantom to tie in with Indiana Jones. That was voted for by our patrons. Uh, so go and check out that. Uh, that's at the lowest tier on Patreon. Uh, $5 tier and up gets you access to extra reels. And you get access to bonus shows from some of the other movie podcasts that we have on Mail Fuzz movies, such as Screams After Midnight and the Atomic Cinema Experiment, which is our horror and sci-fi shows, respectively. But uh, as a Patreon plug. So if you want to support the show, go do that and get some get some extra goodies. Uh, and here as be miserable as we talk about Christian <laughs> Mingle and other such cinematic uh, disasters. 
Yeah. But uh, that that's the show. Uh, obviously, like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications. All these things do help us out a lot. Share us with your movie-loving friends. Uh, <laughs> but that is that is the show. Obviously, next week, we will be back with Temple of Doom. Yep. And uh, we'll see you for that. So... This has been Widows of Lost Ark. This has been The Collector's Cut. Thank you very much once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching movies. And why did it have to be snakes? Snakes.